Our gospel reading comes from Luke 22 and 23. I ask that when we get to the section of the crucifixion, verse 26, that you please stand. At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and the teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Messiah, they said, tell us. And Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me, and if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You say that I am. Then they said, What do we need any more testimony? We have heard it from his own lips. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment to taxes of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee, and he has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he heard that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased, because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people and said to them, You brought this man as one who is inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for the charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found him... I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. Would you please stand? As the soldiers led him away, they seized Simon from Cyrene, 
who was on his way in from the country and put on him the cross and made him carry it behind Jesus. A large number of people followed him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Jesus turned and said to them, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the childless women, the wombs that never bore and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if people do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you were the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was written notice above him, which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. You may be seated. Have you ever noticed how some of our most profound insights concerning the meaning of life come only in retrospect? How many times have you said something like this to yourself or another? Now as I look back, I understand what he meant, what she meant by those words. Or perhaps you reflect back on events in your life and think of those circumstances and you say to yourself, Oh, now it's clear what that was all about. Or perhaps on occasion, because God is gracious, 
you look back at circumstances in your life and it dawns on you only in retrospect that God was preparing you in those circumstances for this very moment. It happens so often we almost forget. But retrospective thinking is where we find our deepest, most significant thoughts. It is, after all, the blessing of history, the wisdom of retrospective thinking. And we possess it on this night in a way that the disciples did not. You see, the first Good Friday was not good. Had you asked the disciples about Good Friday, they may have been insulted to the core of their being. The coupling of two words, good and this Friday? Of course, they couldn't see it as good. They could only see it as good in retrospect. The blessing of our history when we remember. Because I don't need to remind you that for them, Good Friday was their Lord and their Master hanging on a cross, going through the throes of an excruciating death. And he'd done nothing to deserve it. And some of those, even a thief hanging on the cross, spoke loudly concerning his own innocence. He was put to death, not because of guilt, but because of sin. He was put to death by powers, both religious and secular. The disciples and their despair in these moments, it was not because of their lack of faith. No, actually their despair, their anguish of soul was because of their faith. They had believed him when he said he was Messiah, son of God. They listened to his teachings with rapt attention. They watched his miracles. They even watched him raise someone from the dead. Their faith, may I say it sacredly, their faith was the problem. Because everything they believed in was being crucified before their very eyes. You see, on that day, that first Good Friday, they had visions of prophecies in their head concerning the Messiah and the coming kingdom of God and no doubt reverberating in their consciousness was words from the Psalms and Isaiah. Words like these that represented what the kingdom of God coming to earth was going to be like 
from Isaiah chapter 35, the desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So strengthen feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be open and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the mute will have a tongue that shouts for joy. The water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool. The thirsty ground bubbling with springs. The haunts where jackals once lay. Grass and reeds and papyra will grow there. And a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lion will be there. No ravenous beast. They will enter Zion. I can't be sure. But I know the disciples knew these words. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Those were the prophecies they knew so well. And perhaps those Words were echoing in their ears. That's what they were expecting. Instead, they got the cross. They got their Messiah in blood, in sweat, in tears, in thirst, in suffocation and in pitiful cries for help from God. That's what they got on Good Friday. To add insult to injury, there were people who shouted passing by, people on the cross and the rulers, if you're really the Son of God, come down from there. If you're really Messiah, save yourself and us. Yes, we heard that in the reading. 
Those were the words of critics, harsh critics. But, my friends, ask yourself this question. Were those words perhaps a megaphone for the thoughts of the disciples on Good Friday? In their hearts, were they saying the same thing? Jesus, why don't you just come down from there? You told us you were one with the Father. We don't see the Father now. We followed you because you promised eternal life. And now you're dying like a criminal. And supposing those were the words in their head. Imagine as they were tormented by those questions. Their Savior shouts out, My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? I can't be sure that the words of the people were the thoughts of the disciples. But I know one thing for sure. Had I been a disciple on that day, they would have been my thoughts. We are in a privileged position as people who are Christ followers. They didn't know history. It was happening. We do. And only because we know it in retrospect. Do the events of Good Friday make any sense at all? Only in retrospect can we actually affirm that life literally emerges from death only in retrospect can we have the faith to believe that Christ will someday completely overcome sin and death It's a little bit like faith, Good Friday. I mean, the faith of the disciples on Good Friday. Sometimes we think of faith as seeing clearly through the windshield and understanding life that's ahead of us. But perhaps faith is more like looking in the rearview mirror and understanding retrospectively. God's activity in our life so that we can see clearly his activity in the future. As we all reflect on this year that we've experienced, we remember loss. We've experienced confusion, anger, Despair, exhaustion, depression to the point of death. 
there seems to be a darkness that will never go away. For some of you, there's been an isolation that seemed endless. For many of us, there's been a lack of normalcy that we fear may never return. And for some of you, you've experienced real loss. The loss of a loved one or a friend. In the midst of all that, we have this hope. This hope that's delivered to us on Good Friday. And more than any other time I can remember, we need to be able and ought to be able to sympathize with others. More than any time in recent history, we need one another. This, my friends, this is the time where we need faith. This is the time where we need to remember. This is the time when we need to encourage one another to have faith. This is the time that we need the community of Christ followers. If the disciples were here today, and I suppose to a certain extent they are through the Scriptures, they would tell us that there's nothing wrong with disappointment or despair or even doubt. They would remind us that Christ's death was not simply a substitution, though it was. Christ's death was an identification with us. The disciples would remind us from their experience that the crucified Christ walks with us in every circumstance of life, even through the valley of the shadow of death. And they would remind us that Good Friday, though it doesn't seem like that now, is the end of death forever. We have the blessing that was not theirs, that first Good Friday. It's the blessing of history. It makes sense only in retrospect. And that retrospect, my friends, is the nature of faith. The famous words from so many hymns had not yet been penned. The disciples couldn't sing them. But we can. And we can believe while we remember. We can sing or listen to songs like, It is well with my soul. At the cross they couldn't. 
but we can. So remember with me. Remember that we're people with a gift, the gift of divine historical memory. On that first Good Friday, a process began that led to death being swallowed up in victory. Thank God for the cross. Thanks be to God, because it is well with our soul.